Hello, hello, hello. I am your Dita Von Teese, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, oh God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey there, and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most is Munoz. And y'all, it is freaking freezing. It Like, Mother Nature did not even give us a break. She was like, fuck y'all, bitches. That's basically what she said. I'm starting, I'm starting in a place of violence today because, <laughs> you know, she did not even ease in with lube into this fall season. She was like, bing, bang, boom. Here's the cold weather deal with it. But I guess that's why I love New York. I mean, I've spent my entire life here. Uh, Granted, I've been very blessed to travel and like live like a few months here and there, um, other places. But like New York has always been home. And one of the fabulous things about New York City is the weather. And I feel like this is what we call um, fake fall, right? Faux fall, right? Because we'll get we'll get like a week or two of this and then we'll get like three days of back to summer and then it'll be like actual fall for two weeks and then it'll be like frozen tundra for four months. And and that's and that's the way love goes, as Janet Jackson once said. Other than that, we are a week away from October 12th, y'all. Are you dying of anticipation? I've been talking about it for at least a month now, at least a month. And that's all I can say is that we are a week away from something very, very, very exciting. Shout out to Amazon Music for promoting me for, I think it's like, a long time now, um, featuring me. It's really important. And yes, this is a win for me, but what I've said last week and what I'll say again this week, yeah, although it's a win for me, it's a win for the community and what I'm doing here because I am uplifting a certain sector of the LGBT community that you all love out there as well. And it, it really just kind of amplifies our voices in this certain way. And you know what? Representation matters, y'all. So shout out to Amazon Music. And if you're not listening via Amazon Music, you know what? Tell that device in your bathroom to put it on while you take a shower. You know, it's 
It's that easy. So other than that, I'm really excited for today's guest. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, Austin Allen. Say hi. Hi, everybody. How are you? I am actually hot. My apartment is decided to turn on the heat all right all right the, the internet already knows all right we don't we don't have to the hots don't have to proclaim that they're hot austin wow <laughs> right i guess you chose violence today too <laughs> My super is a lot like Mother Nature. He just gave it to me. He did not, <laughs> did not, did loop, not turn that heat loop freak. Well, that's the that's the fantasy. I'm <laughs> <laughs> about the heat. I'm about the heating in our building. <laughs> Sure you did. Sure you did. Well, I am so excited to have you today. And in your mouth, listeners, I don't think you're ready. But before we get anywhere, I got to do what I got to do. And in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, Austin, I need to wish you Happy National Rocky Mountain Oyster Day. Yes. Happy National Rocky Mountain Oyster Day to you, too. <laughs> Do you know what a Rocky Mountain oyster is? I feel like I should. I feel like I've heard it before, but I cannot remember. It's very, it's actually very apropos, right? For what you do too, actually. I was like, oh, this is like Kismet, that it's National Rocky Mountain Oyster Day and Austin Allen is on the pod today. Uh, Rocky Mountain oysters are a delicacy and they're fried bulls balls. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Fried balls. Just mm-hmm. balls. Right? Yeah, sounds <laughs> delish. I don't know. Would you would you eat a, a Rocky Mountain oyster? I don't really like regular oysters. So <laughs> yeah, Rocky Mountain sounds even more horrifying. Yeah, but so they're deep, they're deep fried. Mm, yeah, still. <laughs> not that adventurous. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind a ball or two in my mouth, but maybe not a bull's ball. <laughs> I mean, I mean, depending on who the bull is, hello. I mean, we are off to the races today. <laughs> well, I looked up um, Rocky Mountain oysters just to figure out, like, where they came from. And in cowboy culture, rounding up and castrating the young stock was a natural thing to do. And the ranchers would end up with lots and lots of testicles. Sounds oh. like a dream to me. But... <laughs> Because they used every part of the animal, they th- they would throw what they called a nut fry, a party where the testicles were the main co- course. The oyster part of the name comes from their slimy appearance when raw. And um, whoever wrote this article from the Denver Post said, warning, do not Google raw bull testicles. Nutritionally, they're a powerhouse, chock full of vitamins, minerals, and more protein than what is in traditional cuts of lamb. Wow. Look at that. And they're, um, they're an important part of Colorado's history. I grew up eating very simple foods, and so I'm, I've become a more adventurous eater, but there's just things that I can't do. And that's definitely on the list of things that no matter how much I would love to be adventurous... <laughs> couldn't do it sorry really are you're not into the kink of it all no not at all (laughs) (laughs) 
a waffle ball, maybe. Do a waffle a, ball. A waffle, a, a waffle ball. Oh, wait, wow, way to plug. Way to plug <laughs> real early. Okay, we'll get there. It's going to be a whole hour of it, Austin. <laughs> well, listen, no matter what you celebrate out there, whether it's Rocky Mountain oysters, actual oysters, or or just slimy things in your mouth, or... You know what? Or waffle balls. You know what? On this day, we celebrate you. And moving right along into this day in gay history, Austin, did you know that in 1513, yes, you heard that right, the year 1513, Spanish conquistador Vasco Nunez de Balboa discovers a community of cross-dressing males in present-day Panama. And according to reports, feeds at least 40 of them to his dogs. Wow. Spanish has come a long way. <laughs> right? Yeah. Also, when I first read this, and thank you to the Lavender Effect for all the gay history, but um, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then it's that little tag where he feeds oh, them. I was like, oh, that's that's not amazing. Not amazing. Anymore. <laughs> not amazing. And and you know what was curious to me? I was wondering I was wondering if they were actually cross dressing or whether it was like tribal indigenous wear that was perceived as. You know? I yeah. I need I need a little bit more um context here. Right? But but the but the ass of the day is Mr. De Balboa, Nunez de Balboa, for sure, right? But that just goes to show you that our history and, you know what, and drag queens go back way till, way back till 1513, I guess, to put a lighter spin on it. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. But our history is important at this point. But I want to get to the getting because Austin's looking at me like, what are you talking about? I thought we were coming to talk about waffles. In your mouth, listeners, if you didn't know, and you probably already do, especially if you live in New York, Austin Allen is a New Jersey native who has worked the world from startups all the way through retail banking to his own gazpacho line and now genital waffles. What hasn't he done? Yes, you heard that right. Gazpacho. In 2012, he became an entrepreneur by founding a company called Tio Gazpacho, in which his main investors were Chef Jose Andres and General Mills. Tio Gazpacho reached the ends of your food aisles, from Whole Foods to Walmart and so many more. In 2018, Austin decided to sell the company and took a job with famed veggie burger company Dr. Prager's. Yum. During his time working at Dr. Prager's, he started working on a new passion project and laid the foundation of what was to become Sugarwood. Sugarwood is a company that has reimagined the traditional idea of a waffle and turned them into a fun adult-themed shape. Basically, penis and vaginas, or as they like to call them, woodies and kitties. Sugarwood has taken New York City by storm, and it's and it's a company that believes in not taking life too seriously, treating the earth with kindness, and giving back to empower marginalized communities. Look at that. Welcome, Austin. Welcome. You know, well, you gave me a lot to work with. First and foremost... 
thank you for being here, right? It is an honor. And in your mouth, listeners, I met Austin a couple weekends ago at um, an Urban Bear event where he was dealing out woodies and kitties to all to all the bears, right? Because it's a community that eats, right? So he was. It was definitely right time, right place. But um, I also met right after I met you, Chef Jose Andres, in the street. Yes, no, and I'm a big fan. We talk about him all the time on the pod. He was on the corner uh, in Midtown, by K-Town, actually, just lighting a cigar, talking to somebody. And I passed him, and I was like, why does that guy look familiar? And, wow. and, and I do a double take, and he looks at me, and I turn right back around, and I was like, you're Chef Jose Andres. And he goes, yep. And then I fangirled out. <laughs> I, and he was like, and the person that's with him look at, is looking at me like I'm a lunatic. But I was like, you're incredible. Like, all the work that he does and whatnot. So that's that's where we meet in the middle. You know nice. what I mean? But I want to start at the very beginning. Has food always been the journey? Or, or take me through the process of how we ended up from startups to being a major food entrepreneur. So it's, yeah, I mean, food's always been there. I think less less so than other people that maybe have family members, parents from other countries or people that were born in other countries because there's so much much more of a rich history of food in other countries. But for me, there's always, you know, food's always been there. Um, I grew up in the 80s. So I, as a kid, I was sort of the victim of corporate food marketing in the US and I was like eating all this junk food that was marketed towards me and my parents you know tried to limit those things but weren't able to successfully and so I ate a lot of really sugary things and when snack oils cookies came out they were touted as low fat and better for you and so I would buy those and eat those and so I was like sort of an overweight kid that ate really poorly and just ate things that were delicious lots of chicken McNuggets from McDonald's with sweet and sour sauce and pasta with cream sauce and all that, you know, Cheetos and Gatorade and things like that. So it was when I was a little bit older, I started to develop a consciousness around nutrition and how food, you know, how food and nutrition go hand in hand. And so as a young adult, I started to lose a little bit of weight, get a little bit healthier. And then I found myself in Spain in 2001. Um, And that really shocked me because Spain, especially in 2001, was a country where they still made all their food fresh every day. You know, restaurants didn't have pre-prepared food. There wasn't a lot of frozen foods in the supermarket. And so I was forced to eat, you know, homemade food uh, or make it for myself. And I developed a liking to a lot of the foods um, because I was such a sheltered eater and a picky eater. It was hard to make that adjustment, but I ended up living in Spain for about four years. And over the course of four years, I broke a lot of the bad habits that I had one thing I fell in love with was gazpacho, which surprised me a lot because I'm not the world's biggest tomato fan. But here I was drinking and eating this cold tomato soup. That was, I mean, in terms of nutrition, it's like a nutrition powerhouse because it's literally just tomatoes, green peppers, cucumbers, garlic, olive oil, vinegar, and salt, nothing else. And so I was drinking that, eating that all the time. Um, and I was able to you know, develop more of a consciousness and, and become a slightly healthier adult. And then I moved back to the U.S. in 2005 and started working startups. And and so I realized that food was one of my passions. But it wasn't until that moment, probably like 2005, 2006, that I realized it was one of my passions. 
because the one thing that I would always ask, would always respond with if somebody asked me what my passion was, I would say music because music is you know, probably my number one passion. Um, listening to music, going to concerts, going out. Um, yeah, so that was about the time that I, re- I, I identified that it was passion of mine. Uh, I moved to New York in 2008. And then in 2012 was when I started that, my first company, Tioga Spacho. So, yeah, 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 so that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The I mean, Spain will do that to you. Spain will do that to you, even these days. When I went to World Pride Madrid and was staying in this Airbnb, there was this tiny grocery store down the block, like, you know, like a fruit stand and yeah. fruits, vegetables, Idiot. eggs, and gazpacho. Yep. And I would go at least twice a day to drink this man's gazpacho, right? It's probably like I, two it was, euros, right? Uh, if that, yeah. if, if that, if yeah. that. And he was like, yeah, I just, yeah, I make it every morning and bottles it. And, and yeah. I'm like, this is the most delicious thing. And, 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 and really incredible. I mean, so what... So you you come to New York and then all of a sudden you're like I'm just gonna bottle the gazpacho and and sell it to the masses as if as if we weren't already drinking eating cold tomato soup at fancy restaurants. I mean, fancy restaurants, yes, but there wasn't an awareness of it outside of that, and there definitely wasn't a product on the market. And I so the, my inspiration came from seeing brands really segments like food segments, but but brands blow up. So I think. Sabra hummus was the first one that I was really aware of that was sort of startup-y um, that took hummus, which is, you know, a traditional dish in the Middle East and in Israel, and it's one one dish, but it turned into a category in the United States. So now you go to the supermarket and there's, you know, spicy hummus and and there's, you know, red pepper hummus and there's eggplant hummus. And there's all these different things, chocolate And, and now there's pu- Trader Joe's sells pumpkin hummus totally. and, and, and chocolate so, hummus. Nobody- People probably don't remember this, but 15 years ago, that wasn't a thing. Like, you just didn't buy hummus. I remember actually in 22, or sorry, 2002, when I first got to Barcelona, going to Marks & Spencer, the, the, the fancy English grocery store. In the basement, they had a food hall, and they sold hummus. And I would go there just to buy the hummus because it just didn't exist. I'd never seen that before, and I thought it was so delicious. So that went from a sort of a gourmet, you know, small item to a whole category in the U.S. So that Greek yogurt was another one that I watched blow up, starting with Foyer, but then later with uh, Chobani. And then what really convinced me was Blueprint Cleanse, the Blueprint Cold Press Juices. So they sort of created a trend, starting in New York City, selling $10 juices that were fresh pressed and not, and not you know, heat pasteurized. And then Suja beat them at their own game. And so I watched all this happen and I was like, oh, that looks easy. I could do that. You know, and I have this great idea for this product that I've been kicking around since I'd moved back to the U.S. And so I decided to try my hand at it. I had a friend um, who had just opened a smoothie bar and he was like, well, you know, you need a licensed kitchen so you can use my kitchen in off hours. And that's really how it started. And, you know, I built it up and was able to attract the attention of First General Mills, which then helped me get the attention of Jose Andres. And the rest is at least my history. (laughs) The rest is history. Yes, yes. We we love a man with a passion, you know, (laughs) here on In Your Mouth. Um, And... It's it's inspiring to hear a story of like, well, you know, this is how I did this and and, you know, self-made and and just doing the thing and doing the work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, how how do you think? Right. Queer food. Right. Because you're you are on a big gay podcast here. How do you think um, your gayness plays into food? Is there is there such a thing as queer food? 
Hmm, that's a really interesting question. I don't know. I I feel like maybe just drive and determination to succeed. It probably comes from being gay or being queer, um, you know, and not having like the traditional family that everybody else has, uh, or at least straight people have, and some some gay families have. Um, so I don't have any kids, and I feel like maybe I put all the energy that I would have put into raising a family into these businesses. Right. And I often say that, you know, like that the, when people say, do you have a, do you have kids? I said, why well, I, I have, I had one and then I have a new one, uh, a newborn called, called Sugarwood. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know that it's like, it, it, it's really played itself into in a direct way. You know, if I were, for example, maybe now it has, but if, if in the past I had launched a brand like gay gazpacho or something like that, like it, it wasn't directly impacted, but I think, you know, it's just part of who I am. I came out when I was 15. And so I'm not able to like separate the gay part of myself from the entrepreneur part of myself, from the, you know, social part of myself, any, any of that stuff. So I think, I think it's definitely played a role, but I, it's hard to draw a direct line until this year from, from my gayness to like the interest in food. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing I'm wearing a sexy bear on a box of Velveeta <laughs> t-shirt right now. <laughs> I mean, what's what's gayer foodie uh, than this? <laughs> maybe pe- maybe penis and uh, and waffle vaginas. Um, you know. <laughs> you mentioned that you came out at 15. Would you mind sharing your coming out stories? I always say our stories matter on this podcast because we never know who is listening and who we can inspire. Yes. So I grew up in New Jersey and I have one older uh, brother who's exactly three years older than me. And um, he went off to college when he was a freshman in college. So I was about 14, 15, and he was 18, came back after his first year and came out to me. And Oh, is he single? He is not. He's married. <laughs> and uh, he... Listen, and I knew I'm, he, I, I'm always... I, I, I have to ask the question. If you don't ask, you don't get, right? <laughs> he's in Denver, he's been married. He's been with his partner for like 16 years, and they're married. Um, and so he came out to me. I, I knew he was gay because I found some of his gay novels hiding under his bed. Um, <laughs> and so I said, oh, you know, don't worry, I am too. And he, he was going to tell our parents, which I suggested was not a great idea. And uh, so he did, and they didn't react, you know, so great. They were, you know, very concerned. And so it forced me to not say anything about myself for many years to my parents. But I still came out to everybody else. Like I came out to my friends. I came out to my friends' parents, my parents' friends, my teachers, my principals. And I started a gay straight student alliance at my high school. And I truly think that like my high school years were, I mean, they were great. I loved high school. Um, And then a lot of people say that they didn't, especially gay people and queer people, but I loved it. And I think it was because I went to a school where I was accepted and I was able to be myself and people really respected that. And, you know, I can think back and I remember one time where somebody, I think, made fun of me or, or, you know, said something derogatory about me, not to my face, but about me in some, you know, social studies class or something. And several people like defended me and like shot him down and was like, how dare you talk? talk about that and and say something that's homophobic. And that was truly the only experience that I even remember that I had sort of a negative, any any negativity around it. So I felt like I was able to truly be myself. I also went to a pretty diverse high school. Like there was a great mix of students of all backgrounds. There was a lot of immigrants. 
um, are, are children of immigrants. And so to me, people were just people, right? Whether or not your parents were from Egypt or from, you know, France or from New Jersey, um, it just, everybody was everybody. And there were so many different kinds of people. And then I went to school in the Midwest at college and everybody was, you know, white from the East coast. Um, and it was a much different experience. I didn't have a positive experience in college as a gay person, especially in St. Louis, Missouri in the late nineties, early two thousands. And so, you know, that definitely impacted me. So when I got to Spain, I was like, whoa, this is incredible. This place is amazing, you know? And I really also felt like I could be myself and I get to like explore like new parts of myself. So yeah, my coming out story was, you know, I came out when I was 15 in high school and I had a positive experience. And then I didn't come out to my parents until much later, probably like my mid to late twenties. By that point, I thought it was pretty obvious <laughs> that, that I was gay and that they knew it, but they were still pretty surprised even after having, you know, a, an older gay son. So, you know, denial and, and, um, you know, just traditional values or, or traditional thinking, you know, is really, is, is really strong. It really, really plays a, an, a part in how people react to even their own children's coming out. Yeah, for sure. I don't think we've had, I can't remember, uh, um, the mind, the mind after four and a half, over four and a half years is, is going at this point. And I don't know if, uh, I can't remember a single person that had gay siblings on the pod. Really? I, I, it, it may be, it, I may be lying to myself and I'm just forgetting, but I think you, you could possibly be the first, right? Wow. I hear it all the time though. When I say that people are like, Oh yeah, my, my yeah. brother's gay. I got two gay brothers or a gay brother and a gay sister. Like I hear yeah. that a lot. So I, I, I know, I know a lot about, um, I know a lot of people. I have a lot of, friends that have gay siblings. Um, first and foremost, thank you for sharing. Secondly, you know, uh, each of our journeys are different. And so we don't qualify coming out stories here on the podcast. Uh, but it's important to hear and it's important to share. And hopefully we can inspire or help or, you know, or just kind of touch somebody out there. And that's why I think it's important to, you know, discuss and talk about and share and, and amplify each of our stories in, just, in that way. And coming out, you know, isn't a one-time thing, right? Like I still come out, I mean, maybe not at this point because I just feel, I just assume I operate on, yes. on the, operate on thinking that everybody is just going to know that I'm gay. So I don't feel like I have to make a big deal. And I actually don't care what you think anymore. Like, but I would say when I started this business and the last one, there was a stark contrast, right? Like I was sort of not closeted in the sense that I totally hit it, but I was like very careful not to, you know, identify myself as gay or like, especially if you're talking to an investor or talking to a customer or something like that, you, you know, I was always worried about, I mean, maybe I'm going to get rejected. Maybe they're going to not like me, blah, blah, blah. And so I feel like a, I've grown as a person, but also the world, at least, at least society in the U S has grown where I don't have to have that fear anymore. Um, and it's, you know, part of part of it's personal, but part of it's societal. So I feel like we're moving in the right direction despite all the crazy stuff that happens in this country. Um, I think that, that what's, gives me the, what's the, what's the key to, um, getting over that hump that like mind hump that um self-saboteur to uh to quote ms rupaul you know <laughs> i think the key or is, at least what's your key yeah, i think the key for me was just being being comfortable in who i am and having just a little bit of success and knowing that like you know also having those moments where people surprise you where like they react really positively where you don't expect them to um i think enough of those things happen and just time, right? I think the older you get, you just care less what people think. And so, 
that's it's it's all those things combined. But I do think that the country has changed, our society's changed. I mean, you know, we heard a couple of weeks ago or months ago that the House voted to legalize gay marriage, you know, and it wasn't just Democrats voting for it, that plenty of Republicans voted as well. So it's like that's a huge shift that, you know, being gay, being gay is no longer a big deal, right? Like, I mean, it is in some mm-hmm. some areas, but there's so many other identities and expressions. So like, you know, being gay almost seems safe and tame, you know, <laughs> compared to, at least in the minds of, well, of it, people that would be historically be against it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, also in certain parts of this country and world, you know, I, it's, that's, that's a larger discussion that like we could spend hours and hours on, you know? Um, but I love that. I love that. And I love, I love the, the standing, standing in your truth and standing like and being grounded in who you are you know yeah. what i mean and last and last week we talked to kim fam who uh let us in on this like self-discovery moment where she wrote everything she knew about herself down in a notebook and then went through each thing and was like is this factual or is this societal that was put on me yeah. you know and and then discovered new things about herself through that exercise right and it's an exercise in grounding and we love that and we love that and speaking of being grounded i think this is a great place to ground ourselves and take a break in your mouth listeners while austin and i go you know grab a cocktail and 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 take a little uh, cigarette break right even though neither one of us smoke i think why don't you go check out his instagram at mr dot that's O-W-S-T-E-E-N. And look at the beautiful Fache. And we'll be right back <laughs> with my favorite part and your favorite part of the podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, Austin. I know that the kids are thirsting over the Instagram right now, but I hope you all are ready for my favorite part and your favorite part of the podcast, a little something we like to call Food News Update! Food News! news. Ooh, honey, you ain't ready, girl? Spill the tea! Pepsi created marshmallow, chocolate, and graham cracker sodas you can mix into your own s'mores soda. Wow. <laughs> Wait, how does that work? <laughs> Listen, as an, uh, as an entrepreneur and as someone who's been like in the marketing of it all and so on, I don't, I don't know, like... Is this the best idea? That's a lot. That's that's really complicated. It sounds. That's a lot to digest. Like pun intended. (laughs) Like (laughs) I'm here for a s'more. I love a good s'more, even if they're you know processed or sugary or whatever. I don't care if they're you know clean ingredients or junk. But a sugary s'more soda. Mm, I don't know. That is not a good idea. I mean, (laughs) 
I mean, is it marketing genius or is it a marketing fail? I'm 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 curious because it, it it's just there's a lot of moving parts, and so this can either go really well or really bad. Um, thanks to Food and Wine, who's not a sponsor, but is always keeping me in the know um, for all my food news. So Pepsi is giving away 2,000 of the S'mores soda mixing kits to its social media followers. Pepsi S'more uh, collection announced um, three different soda flavors, toasty marshmallow, graham cracker, and chocolate, that are intended to be mixed together in different proportions to create different varieties of Pepsi liquid s'mores. Isn't that... Okay. Again. Are you old enough to remember what wasn't it Pepsi that came out with the first clear soda? You were talking about eighties food. I remember that it was. I mean, clear I Pepsi or Crystal Pepsi? Was it Crystal yeah. Pepsi and Clear Coke, or was it the other way around? It was definitely Crystal Pepsi. I don't remember the Coke one, although I, I'm pretty sure that happened. But I remember drinking Crystal Pepsi, but it was not good. <laughs> we could say whatever we want because this is a, not a sponsor. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like sodas are just liquid candy. And if you're going to eat candy, I'd rather just eat candy. But yeah, I just, the s'mores aspect of it sounds, it just sounds like somebody was sitting around a, a marketing team meeting. They're like, what, you know, disgusting thing can we concoct and, and push out to social media influencers so that we can get more engagement. doesn't sound like a legitimate that- product. And that people will then like inherit and sell on eBay for like three thousand dollars because yeah. I feel like that's what happens with all these like special, unique, like yeah, major brand promos. You know what I mean? Agreed. Yep. I mean, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's like, is this battling the pumpkin spice latte? Is that what we're trying to do here for the fall? I mean, you know, despite all the backlash, pumpkin spice tastes really good and it's a flavor that people love i was reading an article i think in vox last week or two weeks ago about why there's a backlash or why that has been a persistent backlash and it's pretty fascinating but the the, what i took away was that pumpkin spice is a huge flavor product money maker for whoever launches it especially starbucks and if you think about it it is delicious not my favorite thing in the world but like it is delicious and that i just don't think people are going to want to drink uh marshmallow flavored soda it just no I'm sorry. No. I, can't. <laughs> I, can't. I don't. I, in your mouth, listeners, I don't think Austin is here for this. I mean, if Pepsi wants to send me a send me a care package like uh, of it, I'll. You know what? Send me two. One that I can save, right, for my niece and nephews to sell like 20 years from now on eBay, <laughs> and oh, one shit. that I can actually live taste, right? One one that will pay the tuition, <laughs> and one I I that I can actually unbox and taste, right? That that I'll be here for for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'll try it. I think I lost my chance of them sending it to me just now, but I don't know if I'm going to like it. Well, kind of related, 7-Eleven and Crocs are doing a collaboration that brings a convenience store style to your feet. Now, (laughs) Crocs are very controversial, I think, all around. Are we yay or nay to the Croc? I mean, in general, I'm a nay. I know that they're in now having a kitchen. I know that there's an element of like there's a kitchen croc that's really comfortable for kitchen workers. So I'm sort of sympathetic to that and I, I approve of that. But I think as a fashion statement, I'm a, definitely an A. 
on a, on a general yeah, croc. No, no, not a not a Balenciaga heel croc. No, does right? that exist? I will have this. Yeah, that's like it put. I think it was one of the reasons Crocs really came like. Like I think Crocs was coming back, were coming back into style, and then Belong- Balenciaga did a, a heel Croc, and then it like shot them to a, a different plane, and wow. now it's like all these collabs and whatnot. I also had an original pair of Crocs when they came out. They were, you know, they were like Merlot colored, you know, <laughs> or plum. Um, I I may still have them somewhere, maybe at my mother's house, but um, I. I'm not the biggest fan, but these 7-Eleven Crocs are kind of really cute, I will have to say. <laughs> but there's a bigger conversation here because Vice.com came out with an article about, did you know that there, this is the real conversation I want to have. Did you know that it's a thing or maybe urban legend that you can eat Crocs? What? As survival food? No, I did not know that. This, it's vice.com, folks. This is a viable news source here, right? For years, an urban legend has held that Crocs can be survival food. Vice now reports the final word on whether you can or should munch on the divisive clock. First and foremost, I need to say, we both need to say, you know what? Out of all the things you should be putting in your mouth, a, a croc isn't one of them. We do okay. not recommend this in any way, shape, or four, <laughs> you know Michael. that. Yeah, if, <laughs> oh, we talked about that last week. Yeah. yeah, no, but apparently since 2006, um, this has been a thing. And Crocs reps have been uh, writing since 2006. Although Crocs are non-toxic, there is little, if any, nutritional value in the material we use. We do not recommend eating or ingesting Crocs as they are for your feet. Uh, The edibility is a rumor said to have started with a camp counselor who boiled a croc and cut it into pieces, substituting the actual shoe with candy before he fed it to the camp children. (laughs) Right? But since then, people have actually ate crocs. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Regardless of the material makeup for... For no reason do we recommend eating Croc shoes. They are for wearing purposes only and or to be personalized with gibbets charms as a form of self-expression, says the company, obviously. But, like, I fell down a hole of, like, what is wrong with the, What is wrong with people? Do you want a list? I can make you a list. <laughs> <laughs> are we talking about ourselves? Cause, no. Or are we talking about the world? The world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I am here for this 7-Eleven Croc, though. You need to look them up and Google them because they have 7-Eleven Croc slides, too, that are also kind of really cute. Not that I would wear a slide in this city, maybe for, like, my summer vacation. But I think if I were to wear one, I would be here for this is the one I would wear. You know, I'm here for <laughs> I'm I'm here for this, but I'm not here for, like, eating a crock. I think Austin's like, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and last, and last, but certainly not least, a Georgia woman finds $500 cash in her KFC meal. Have you heard about this? No, tell me more. Um, and this is uh, a warning for Sugarwood, dear. Right? <laughs> Just so you and your children know Marjorie. Um, 
A woman by the name of Joanne Oliver ordered a chicken sandwich at her local KFC's drive-thru. But when she got back to her desk and opened the bag, she found something unexpected. A small envelope filled with $543 in cash had been placed underneath her sandwich. She then called the police and then returned the money. Apparently, KFC had mistakenly placed the restaurant's daily bank deposit in the bag with Oliver's uh, to-go order. Wow. That's so nice of her that she was honest and returned it. Yeah, well, apparently she's, like, in a lot of medical debt, and she goes, I don't need the karma coming back to me. So she she literally was like, I need to return this money. But this is not the first time it's happened, apparently. Apparently, a long time ago, a McDonald's did the same thing, given and put, like, over a grand in a McDonald's bag with someone's to-go order. And did KFC do anything to help this woman out? No, they gave her, they refunded her money for the meal and gave her an extra meal for free. Oh, my God, that's awful. I know, like KFC, like the woman returned the thing and she's in debt, right? Could you not just like at least give her the value of the money she gave back in free KFC meals? That costs you nothing. Exactly. And they're good at marketing, right? Remember the 11 Herbs and Spices Twitter promo that they did once? That was so brilliant. Did you ever hear about that? Where they only followed? Yeah. uh, Like six. And the Spice Girls. And the Spice Girls, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was great. great. They're great marketing people. They should, they should have done a little bit more for her. Oh, that's awful. Right? I mean, five hundred forty-three dollars in KFC coupons is a drop in the bucket for them. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, and great marketing. Yep. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, I, I guess if the woman, I don't know, like hopefully she's well and healthy and she's uh, you know, a great person for returning the money, right? But maybe, maybe five hundred forty-three dollars worth of. Uh, fast food when you're having uh, medical issues medical yeah, exactly. issues, <laughs> and we don't know what kind maybe it, that isn't the best I don't know but KFC could be delicious I'm a yeah. Jollibee stan <laughs> um, oh my god I was at an event a couple weeks ago and they were giving out free Jollibee and I had to stop myself from taking a third <laughs> Jollibee sandwich it was had, so had you ever had Jollibee before no, I'd never had it before. I'd never even heard of it. And they were literally just handing them out at this U100 event uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, my God. We need to go. One just opened up in Times Square. Shout out to you, Jollibee. Um, and we need to have the spicy bucket with the gravy and the mango pie. Mm, right? We'll take we'll take some uh, digestive pills, but it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think that's the perfect way to end. Food news update. Yes. Take that into the Sugarwood shop with you today. (laughs) So why? Tell me why. Why and how penis and vagina waffles are, are, are a thing. Like, what? So, number one, why not? (laughs) But. Good answer. Penis and vagina waffles, why they are a thing. Um, So I discovered several brands and several stores in other countries, either by visiting visiting them, seeing them, or seeing them online. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. This is funny, you know, but like, what is this, you know, what is this really about? And I think the most successful one that I encountered was in Madrid. Um, you'll notice there's a, I have a lot of connections to Spain. Um, and so uh, I 
they were on my radar. My friends in Madrid were like, you should do something like that in New York. They're making a killing. I saw lines literally two, three blocks long when they first opened, but wasn't able to experience it myself just because I didn't want to wait in line for two hours. And then um, started doing some research on the category and realized that there's stores all over the world doing this, making a lot of money, making a lot of headlines. You know, a lot of it is for social media um, or people would claim that it's only for social media. But what I also loved about it was that it sort of destigmatizing, you know, talk about sex and gender and body parts and things like that. Um, so when I went to the one in Madrid last summer with my partner, he was actually the one that suggested that we go. And I saw that there was still a line. They'd been open for three years. I learned that the one in Spain, this brand in Spain, had opened 13 locations in Spain. And Spain's not a very big country. I was like, okay, clearly this is not a fad. This is here to stay. And we had the best time. We laughed so much. They told all these amazing jokes. We took a bunch of photos, which none of them made it to our social media, but we took a lot of photos. And I was like, this is sort of my next thing. Like, this is what I want to work on next, right? I was still Dr. Prager's. You know, the pandemic was sort of subsiding a little bit and we were going back to normal and in-person things and stores were, were resuming. And so I thought, this, there's, there's an opportunity here. And so I thought, if I can do this in New York and put a distinctive, you know, queer LGBT spin on it and distinct New York spin on it, I think that this is an opportunity to to do, there's an opportunity to bring a brand like this to the United States. Yeah, so I started working on it a year ago, and we opened our doors in June of this year. So, and you know, and I, all those things that I had in my mind, I was able to achieve. So, putting a New York spin on it, I worked with almost all queer talent on the design and the recipes and the mural of the store and the brand, and etc. And then um, also, you know, it has a very New York feel. And we're already working on locations two and three. So, you know, all those things have come come to fruition in, in just a short period of time. That's incredible. And it's been a grand success because uh, before we even met, I have been seeing and people have been sending it to me just because I do this and I have my food persona as well online. And they're like, have you been yet? We should go. This should look so like so much fun. And I still have yet to try it because... The gay vanity of it all. Yeah, even at Urban Bear, I was like, am I eating? Are we eating? Is this what we're doing at Urban Bear? I mean, what else are you doing at Urban Bear? Eating, drinking, and socializing. Uh, I mean, drinking and making out with uh, cute boys, right? That's that's what I did. Wow. Wow. What? I, <laughs> what was that? Was that a judgmental wow? <laughs> totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. As much as I was working on <laughs> wild success i also my i saw you i saw you fun. drinking and making out with somebody that was my as well <laughs> you still were making out with a cute boy that is true that is true that is very true. okay judgy mcjudgerson <laughs> no, it was oh, it was no judgment I, I don't judge obviously. no 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 i do have to get down there actually and and funny story is that um uh, last week uh, during the san Gennaro festival i met uh my good friend phyllis uh, who we dated in freshman year of college, and now she's a big old lesbian, and here I am, a raging homosexual myself. And uh, she goes, oh, I have something for you. And she pulls out this postcard, and she goes, it's this great place. I know this woman that's like a partner in this business called Sugarwood. Yeah. And I go, 
funny story. Right? <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that you were in sort of Little Italy and you didn't come to Sugarwood. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no, we were we we were catching up. How late is Sugarwood open? By the time we were done with dinner, and to, what? 10 p.m. Did you say ten? That's that's the time we we left La Mela down in. <laughs> So I wouldn't have made it. Plus, I'd rather be there with you. So I get like the full experience, you know, yep, yep. like I want I want a hands on if you know what I mean. If if you're <laughs> handing me a penis, I I need a hands on experience with it. <laughs> and I do that a lot. I really I love being there. It's not technically my job to sort of be in store and work with customers. But I find myself there all the time because, you know, I'm dropping something off or checking up on inventory or talking to the store manager or just help lending a hand when they're, when they're super busy. And I have so much fun every time I'm there, whether it's working the line, working the sauce station, working the cashier or helping them in the back. It's, it's a blast. And I feel so fortunate to be able to say that that's my job, right? My career is like making people laugh. Cause that's really what we want to do at the end of the day. So, you know, you, you go back to your question earlier, why I, it, the, the, the fun and the levity is really the, what, is why we do what we do because there's, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of, you know, heavy shit happening in the world and to be able to have a business that brings joy, spreads queer joy and also gives back to the community, which we haven't talked about um, is really so incredible. It's such an incredible feeling to have that like, that's what I do for, for a living. And, and, and I, I spend my days doing. Yeah. Before, before we go to the give back, you know, we often hear, and we're here to celebrate you obviously and uplift you and, all the amazing things that you're doing. And it's just like, obviously, uh, much like with uh, Kim Pham uh, last week, you know, we talk about the success and the beauty and how good the product is and how delicious it is and how amazing it looks. What has been the hurdle to get there? Has there been, has there been any backlash because it's more of an adult theme? Some people would call it cheeky or risque or dirty, right? Or like, has there been any of that? So let's say there's, I have a lot to say around that. So number one, not really, um, you know, but backing up for just a second. So our intention is not to be vulgar, pornographic or gross. We want it to be fun, silly and lighthearted. Now, everybody has their own interpretation of gross or, or crossing the line or what is funny and what's silly and what's not. But in general, I truly don't believe that we have a pornographic business. Um, so no, there hasn't been a lot of backlash. I would say of all the comments that we've got, um, there haven't really been a lot of, of comments like that. I got like a random one from Turkey because somebody in like a magazine in Istanbul like reposted our story and then I re- reposted their repost and somebody from Turkey sent me a, a nasty message. Um, there have been a few sort of like hater comments on posts on social media, but I just chalk it up to like that's what people do. You know, they, they people mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. trolls. Well, that's, uh, well, how lucky, how lucky for you because, you know, um, I'm I'm in full support of this business. Hello, like yeah. how could you not be? But but you know the the world is and being in New York, you know we're in New York City, right? A, a, a very liberal place for the most part. You know, you're, you're, it's pretty safe to say like this is this is going to go well. You yeah. know, but like there's always there's always that question: is is this too much? Is this all right? Like what's happening? What's happening in the background? Is did, like with investors, depending on who your investors are, uh, yeah. was that a hurdle? Like to be like, this is kind of what we want to do. And like, you know, people have, people love to throw their Christian values on things. Yeah. People love to throw, you know, all sorts of 
things that aren't necessarily uh, what you're trying to do on what you're trying to do. Does that make I, sense? For the most part, no. I mean, you know, so I have two business partners and they are both straight. One's uh, a guy and, and the other's female. And they, you know, we all raised money. And even they had connections, you know, like older straight people from, you know, old school New York people. And they were just like, this is so funny. Like, of course, we want to invest in this. this is going to be a huge success. And so, I mean, maybe one or two people said, no, like, this isn't in my wheelhouse. I'm not comfortable with the concept. We did get turned down by a few landlords where they said, I don't want this in my, my space. But I'm like, that doesn't bother me. And that doesn't surprise me. Um, but for the most part, there really hasn't been any sort of negativity. And I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I also think that, like, people that would actually have a problem with it aren't going to come to us to tell us that they have a problem with it. And those people online, that's just what people do. They troll. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm appreciative of those trolls online because those people feed the algorithm. So for every negative comment that you get, it's just a comment, which just mean you have one more view or one more comment or one more, you know, reaction. It and keeps so, pushing. I say it all the time. Hate on haters because what you're yeah. doing is just amplifying me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Absolutely. And I love hearing that. I, I love hearing that they're like, hasn't been any of that, you know, um, but it's, you know, it's important to hear all sides of the story here and all sides of the corn coin, you know, to once again, inspire people by yeah. the, the full breadth of the situation. Yeah. Um, one part of Sugarwood before we close out that I really love is that you do give back to the community. Tell yes. me more about that. So I did that with, with Tio Gaspacho. We gave a money to a nonprofit called development gardening that felt very tied to, the mission of, of Tio Gaspacho and the product. And so I wanted to do the same thing with, with Sugarwood. Um, I knew that it had to be obviously gay, LGBT, queer. And so um, we were working with some really great um, consultants on the project. And one of them was about media and LGBT um, media. And he recommended several of the bigger ones. We, we reached out to them and they all, you know, were sort of skeptical of working with a small business um, a new small business. And then he suggested fluid foundation and fluid project. And I was like, this is exactly what the kind of partner that we want. And Rob, the founder of both, um, was really excited about what we were doing. And he, you know, he came to our party and sent people and has just been a really great partner. And so, um, I love their mission. I love their mission of, of giving back to the community. They basically take money and channel it to other LGBT nonprofits that are more grassroots and it just feels like it's part of this sort of complete vision that I have for the business, which is, you know, doing some, sorry, creating a little bit of levity, not harming the earth, which we try not to use any single serve plastics, and then also giving back to the community. So it's a, there's a feel good element to the business. So while you're supporting it, and while you, maybe you're doing it for your own social media and your own followers or your own, you know, chuckles and giggles, you're also doing some good in the world and, you know, not harming the planet basically. So it, it just, it was an important element that I knew that I wanted to incorporate into the business. And I'm really glad it's worked out the way that it has. Yeah. That's amazing. What's been the best part of the journey? Best part of the journey is, is two things. One is working with amazing talent. So for example, Tom Smallwood, who's the head of uh, baking or head baker at Magnolia is a friend of Eduardo's who's now become a good friend of mine. And he did all of our recipes. We hired him for recipes, for waffles, for sauces, and consulting on, on making them. We have these incredible designers in Bushwick called Soga. Um, so just working with all those, those great people. And it's literally all 
queer talent, uh, Browley Amato, who's a very well-respected graphic uh, artist, did a mural in our shop that you have to come see to believe. It's all characters of famous New Yorkers with penises for noses. Um, so that's number one. And then number two is, as I mentioned earlier, just like being in the store full of energy, even if I'm not helping customers, like hearing the laughs and, and talking to people and just feeling that positive energy and knowing that, you know, I created this, like without sounding arrogant, like it really, like this is because of me. It's it's a great satisfaction you get with any business as an entrepreneur that I think is is pretty incredible. Um, but this one in particular, because it's such a joyful, uplifting, but also distinctively queer business is just is incredible. Amazing. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. And I can't wait for to, you know, bamboozle you to meeting me down at the store. <laughs> so we can have so we can have a Woody and Kitty good time, Kiki, or I'm I'm trying to make a punny sort of something there that I should have thought through. <laughs> Shameless plug for us. We're having our grand opening this weekend, the October uh, 7th and 8th. So we're going to have some performances and fun things happening in the store and some discounts. And people are coming after the Women's March on, I think it's Sunday, or no, Saturday of this week. Um, so there's a lot going on. So it's a, gr it's a great weekend to come down and check us out. Oh, well, what what kids met? I didn't even know all of that information. This has been really amazing. Tell the kids, first and foremost, where they can find Sugarwood. Give them all the Sugarwood handles. Yeah. So pretty simple. It's sugarwood.us. You can visit our website, which is sugarwood.us. You can visit us on Instagram, Facebook, um, and TikTok. And we are at 157 Prince Street in Soho in New York City. We are between Thompson and West Broadway. Look for the pink awning. You can't miss it. But if, you, if you're if you a little lost, it's a pink awning that says Sugarwood. We're on the lower level, so you have to go down about three steps. But you can definitely see it from the street. And we are open currently Wednesday through Sunday. So for the full hours, which days we're open, which hours, check out our website. But we will be there waiting for you with a piping hot Woody or Kitty or whatever you choose. So we're... We're there to serve. Yeah. Oh, or, bo or, or both. both. Or both. <laughs> or both. Why, why do we have to choose? Right? Don't. don't. <laughs> and whatever you choose, we don't judge. We don't tell anybody. It's what happens in Sugarwood stays in Sugarwood. It's like Vegas. Um, unless you post it on Instagram. Unless you post it on Instagram. Or TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to follow Austin on Instagram, right, you could go to Mr. Austin, O-W-S-T-E-E-N, and slide into his DMs respectfully. And if you slide in disrespectfully, <laughs> you may have an angry boyfriend at your door. But as always, right, and it never happens, but if it does, there's you automatically agree that Austin can send those things to me. So we both <laughs> can send them. All right. <laughs> and, discuss, and discuss and rate and maybe judge. <laughs> Are you okay with that? I'm perfectly okay with that. Just yes. So now it's consensual. Great. <laughs> I'll send everything your way. All of a sudden, my inbox is flooded. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder this couch is wet. Anywho, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been wonderful.
<laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for giving me time out of your busy, busy schedule. Um, it's been so great. It's so great to meet you in person. I love those connecting moments, um, especially at like big gay events and then connecting with you here. Uh, what a fun, fun day. Um, I can't wait to have you back anytime you want and to Kiki with you at Sugarwood. Oh, and Jollibee. We need... I'm, oh, yeah. I'm taking you to Jollibee. Let's start at Jollibee for dinner, and then we'll go to Sugarwood for dessert. Oh, my God. That's a heavy day. Well, we're, we're not going out that night. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Nobody's bottoming that night. That's for sure. Any of our listeners, what a great day. I am off the rails. We started by choosing violence, and now we are choosing joy for sure. Get out there. Wear your big comfy sweaters and your scars and and grab your pumpkin spice lattes but leave your pepsi s'more kits at home folks uh spread joy a kindness a little bit of kindness goes a long way and costs you nothing and other than that as always thank you for listening to in yo mouth